But today we're doing the read and rant. So it's not like our Bible study where we sit around and we dig a little bit deeper into the scripture, into understanding the scripture and understanding the text. This is more of a meditation of scripture where we're simply spending time together in the reading of the word to hear from God. It is a meditation because even though it's not a Bible study, it is a time of reflection. It's a time of reception. It's a time for us to use the Bible as a conduit, as a medium by which we can connect with God. God can speak through us through the reading of his word. God gives us his word, but he gives us his spirit. And so we pray that as we spend time in his word, that God will reveal his truths to us, that God will reveal his heart and his will to us. And so that's what we commit to do. We've been reading through the entire scripture. And we read through the entire New Testament, now we're reading through the entire Old Testament, and now we find ourselves in Ephesians 16. And so we'll spend just a few moments today, since we're not afforded the time that we usually are, we'll spend a few moments today reading God's Word from Ezekiel chapter 16. And what I want to encourage you to do is, I want to encourage you to pray, and pray while you're reading. Prayerfully read through these three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? Hey, Nina, good to see you. It's been a minute. So good to see you. Oh, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And so those are the three questions we're going to ask as we spend time to, to reflect and to meditate on the scriptures. Okay. Thank you. This is my doctoral ring. <laughs> this is my PhD ring. Okay. Um, people say it's a super spiritual. It's not, it's just a PhD. Quick side note, the ring that you see on my index finger, for those of you uh, who knew me years ago, giving you just a heads up before we read. For those of you who knew me years ago, um, you would know that I was about 80 pounds heavier than I am right now. Um, it's not a signet ring. Stop it, Jason. <laughs> uh, but I, um, I was about 80 pounds heavier than I am right now. And so this ring was the ring that my wife gave me. And... Again, I can't hold on to this ring anymore. And so I stopped wearing it on my ring finger because it just wouldn't stay on my ring finger, but it stays on my index finger. And so I just put it on my index finger. So I still hold on to that ring. So when you ask, well, why are you wearing a ring on your index finger? You guys, don't over-spiritualize everything. Okay? It's all, I know it looks kind of cool. It's like, oh, he's got a ring on his index finger. That's really the only reason. And now I have a replacement ring. Um, on my ring finger. Uh, it's actually a silicone ring. <laughs> uh, it's a replacement ring on my index finger. Uh, just to make sure people know, hey, you know, this guy's married. Um, but I never wanted to let this ring go. And so that's why it's on my index finger. So there you go. It stays. <laughs> it stays here. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, yeah. So th there you go. I, and, and again, People are always looking for something like, oh my gosh, he's wearing all this stuff and it all has all these meat. It has, really, it's nothing. It, each one has a practical reason 
<laughs> for why it exists. Uh, this right here is actually a band. And in this band, uh, I made a donation to an organization that saves girls, uh, young girls in India and Africa due to child trafficking. And inside of this band is the name of uh, the girl that was attributed to my donation. So there you go. You got that. And then um, anyway, each one has a has a meaning. And that's the only reason why I wear them. So there you go. Um, this was a donation. So most of these bands are just donations that I've given to organizations and they just gave me a band. So I just put the band on. It's just a nice little reminder. of that. That's it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I felt like I had to say that. Uh, but anyway, uh, just don't want to keep don't want you guys distracted and all that. But that being said, let's just read the word. We're in Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm going to pray for us to get started. And then you can, uh, you guys can read along with me and pray along with me as well. Father, I thank you for this time. Father, even in these few moments that we spend in the reading of the word, I just pray that you would reveal your truth to us. Bless us today, Lord, that we would receive from you. Uh, we pray for your wisdom, your insight your spirit that illuminates our understanding of who you are. And so that's what we ask of you, today, Father, or simply just to attune our hearts to yours. And Father, shape us even as we read this, Lord. Um, convict us, correct us, um, encourage us, exhort us, Lord, as we read your word. And we say that in your name. Let's get right to it. Ezekiel 16 says this again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of your father was an Amorite and your mother was a hit. As for your nativity on the day you were born, your navel cord was not, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor rubbed with swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things, for you have compassion. Sorry, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown into the open fire when you yourself loathed on the, were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your own blood, live. Yes, I said to you, Live in your own blood. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, and you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water. Yes, thoroughly washed off your blood and anointed you with oil. I clothed you and I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was a fine linen, silk, 
and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeding to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you, says the Lord God. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen nor be. You have taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I had given you and made for yourself male images and played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them and you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour, oil and honey, which I fed you. I set it before them as sweet incense, and so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter, that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire? And in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of when you were naked and bare, struggling in your blood. Then it was so. After all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourself a shrine and made a high place for yourself in every street. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians, your very fleshly neighbors, and increased acts of harlotry to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretch out my hand against you, diminished your allotment, and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your lewd behavior. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor Chaldea, and even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high place in every street. You were not like a harlot because you were scorned. You are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men make payments to all harlots, but you made your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you from all around for your harlot. And the opposite of other women in your harlotry, because no one solicited you to be a harlot. In that you gave payment, but no payment was given to you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, 
because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry tree with your lovers, with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children, which you gave to them. Surely I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you and I will uncover your nakedness to them. And they may see all your nakedness. They will judge. And sorry, and I will judge you as a woman who break wedlock or shed blood are judged. I'll bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewelry and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up an assembly against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through their swords. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. And I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and be angry no more. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things, surely I will recompense your deeds. On your own head, says the Lord, and you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abominations. Verse 44, indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children. And you are sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. Your elder sister is Samaria, who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, whom, who dwells in, to the south of you, is Sodom and her sisters. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations, but as if they were too little. You became corrupt, more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they and have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have. You who judge your sisters bear your own shame also because the sins which you committed were more abominable than theirs. They are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. When I bring back their captives and the captives of Sodom and her daughters and the captains of Samaria and her daughters, then I will also bring back the captives 
of your captivity among them, that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them. When your sister Sodom and her daughters returned to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters returned to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. For your sister Sodom was not a byword in your mouth in the days of your pride. Before your wickedness was uncovered, it was like the time of reproach of the daughters of Syria and all those around her and the daughters of the Philistines who despise you everywhere. You have paid for your lewdness and for and your abomination, says the Lord. But thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as I've done who despise the oath by breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you. In the days of your youth, I will establish you and establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger daughters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you, and I will establish my covenant with you, then you shall know the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all that you have, says the Lord. I'm going to stop right here um, only because we're not uh, afforded the time that we usually afforded. And so I'm just reading chapter 16. It's a tough chapter to just sit there and just go, okay, well, that's all we're going to read. But it's a powerful chapter in that it points to the dimensions of God's wrath towards the children of Israel. At the center of the story, we find the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, as you notice, have a very complex history, very complex, complicated history. It's a nation that was born without being instituted. It was a nation that was born outside of its own land. I mean, think about it. Israel is a nation that became a nation inside of another nation. Israel never had a good start. Israel never had a good start because those who preceded them, their ancestors, moved from their land to Egypt. And it was there that they grew. It was there that they multiplied. And so, of course, Israel... Because they were, because the nation itself was birthed in, in a very complicated way, in a very deluded way, Israel finds itself still seeking it. Israel never belonged in Eden. They became slaves there, indentured servants. They worked there, built someone else's as slaves. And then, of course, Moses, who hears from God as a prophet, leads them out of Egypt and back to the land that was promised to them. So they leave the land that, they, that the nation was born right from 
um, from Exodus, sorry, not from the end of Genesis, when um, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who birthed 12 sons in a very complicated family, these 12 sons go to Egypt as a result, of course, to flee the, um, the, the drought and the famine. They get to Egypt, they stay there, and those 12 sons become 12 families. Those 12 families become 12 tribes, and those 12 tribes together become a nation, a nation of people who don't belong. Moses, who was born, and Moses, who was then adopted, he was adopted at Pharaoh's house, Moses, who was taught in Pharaoh's house, who was trained in leadership and in war, Moses went into exile, came back, returned after having an encounter with God and took the children of Israel along with him. We've read the story. We spent a long time journeying through them. And then from there, we see now the children of Israel navigating through the wilderness, navigating to a land that none of them knew. And yet the Lord was setting this land aside for them. Why am I bringing all this up? This is important. And pardon me if think out loud for a moment as I process through this. But Israel, a nation birthed in a very precarious situation, now returns to establish itself, herself, as a nation in a land that they had to fight for. And there they fought, and there with God's help. They were victorious and they were given the land. But they weren't born in that land. They were a nation that was not established in that land. And so in many ways, Israel is still trying to find herself. And the problem that Israel had was that Israel was trying to find and define herself based off of not what God promised, but what they saw around them. Which brings me to the, my first point is that you can't know who you are relative to what people say you are. And you can't know who you are in consequence to how you perceive those who are around you. There are many of us who have tried to find ourselves through relationship. 
some of us have tried to find ourselves through friends. Some of us have tried to find ourselves through spouses. Some of us have tried to discover ourselves through our colleagues, through those who are around us. And for many of us, we're trying to establish an identity based off of what we see with the people that we're around. So we force ourselves to like what people like. We force ourselves to do what people do because out of that, we feel like we've established an identity. But you are not what you're around. And you are not who people say you are. You are who God says you are. So rather than seeking your identity from people, seek to hear from God concerning who you are. Think for many of us, we fall into the trap of if I can't find me, then I'm going to establish a me based off of what I see around me. Love you too, Josh. And there are many of us right now, if you can just be real, we join groups because we try to identify with groups. The human heart wants to belong. That's what we want. We just want to know that we belong. We, we want to know that we have family. We want to know that we're accepted. And sometimes because of we will sacrifice our own identities, our own convictions, our own selves in order to be, in order to establish some form of belonging. But here's the thing. If you've got to lose a little bit of yourself to belong to people who are around you, then you've sacrificed the most important thing in the world. And that's who God made you to be. So rather than hearing what people have to say about you, dig down and hear what God says about you. Because regardless of if people affirm you or not, God unconditionally affirms you because God chose you before anybody would. This is Israel. Israel was loved by God. From the beginning, loved by God. From the beginning, chosen by God. Israel was pulled out of the mud. Israel was like the abandoned child. Born in a precarious situation. <laughs> Israel is the one who was born and still had its umbilical cord. Israel was born, had no mother. Israel was born, but had no identity. And yet God takes these people, chooses them for in a, Incredible calling, y'all. 
Like this is this is crazy when you think about it. Is that the these people are not a people of wealth. These are not a people of renown. These people got nothing. Nothing. And yet God chose them. He chose them from Abraham. Kept his promises with them. And it was in Mount Sinai and Exodus that God made a covenant with them. He said, I will be your God. And you will be my God. Why is that so important, y'all? Because Israel's identity was not determined by culture. Thanks so much, Tanya. Israel's identity was not determined politics. Israel's identity was not, no one did for Israel what God did for Israel. No one cared for Israel. But God chose Israel, navigated through the wilderness with Israel dealt with Israel and all of Israel's brokenness and still called Israel and said, I will be your God. You will be my people. And the image of that is marriage. He made a covenant with Israel. Marriage is not a social contract. Marriage isn't just a social construct. Marriage is a divine covenant. Marriage is bigger than any paper you can sign. Bigger than any minister or pastor can declare you to be. No individual can create a marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's a bond. An eternal bond. Not just between two people, but between God and his people. And it's a privilege that we who get to experience merit, get to experience an emblem and a symbol that points to the covenant that God has with his people. It's the blood of Jesus that brought us back to God. It's the blood of Jesus that keeps us all together. This is the powerful ministry that marriage is. And God engages in that ministry with the children of Israel says, I will be your God, you will be my people, birthed Israel and became one with Israel. Adorns Israel, cleans Israel up. Look what he says. He says, I, I, I got you when you had no place, no identity, nothing. Washed her, clothed her with embroidered cloth. You want to know why marriage hurts? You want to know why marriage, it just feels different when you break a marriage than when you break a relationship. You want to know why? Because the scriptures tell us that the two become one flesh. So when all of a sudden there's a break in marriage, there's a oneness that now has been fractured. You've lost a piece of yourself. It is profoundly painful when you have given all of yourself to something. And this is why people are so afraid to get married. 
they'll tell you they just don't want to delete de- deal with the complexities of it and and they don't want to deal with all the commitments involved but that's not the problem because you're okay with committing to dating but to commit to marriage you have to lose yourself we're afraid to get married because we have to lose ourselves we're afraid of marriage because it's not just two people who come together and form a, a collaboration it's two people becoming one and to become one means you have to gain everything and lose everything at the same time scary in today's day and age we celebrate individualism and yet marriage is not about individualism marriage is about sacrifice oneness a losing of self for a greater ideal that just do not want Oh, and the risk of a marriage falling apart, that hurts more than anything in the world. Because if I become one with you, breaking away from you means I'm losing a piece of me. That's And these are the risks that we take when we go into marriage. This is the belief and the faith that we step into when we go into marriage. I'm sorry if I go on this little mini rant, but fam, let me tell you something right now. If you're not ready to lose yourself in your marriage, then you're not ready. And if your spouse is not ready to lose themselves in marriage, then they're either. If you're not ready to live a life of continual mutual sacrifice for one another, then you're not ready to. If you're still individualistic, you're not ready to get married. Because the moment it gets hard, the moment it gets difficult, the moment it gets uncomfortable, you're going to end up choosing you and what makes you comfortable over the covenant that you made with your spouse. Here's the thing. You go into marriage, into covenant, you become one. And if you become one, then you have lost whatever previous identity you have, which is why. If this thing breaks, you're going to lose a piece of yourself. You better really evaluate whether you're ready for it. And in today's day and age, we made marriage a contract. We made marriage a piece of paper. We made marriage that. And yet marriage is something you cannot separate. God cannot separate himself from Israel. Which is why I love how he starts off by saying that um, Jerusalem plays the harlot. He says he plays the harlot, sells herself off. And he goes, no, 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 no. Yeah, verse 15 to 30, she plays the harlot, but then no, 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 no. She's an adulterous woman. I was like, I did all this. We we became one. I made my covenant with you. You made your covenant with me. We did this, it we did this at Mount Sinai. And then now you're giving yourself up. No, 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 no. That's not harlotry. That's adultery. That's why in verse 30 he says, he says, no, no, no. You're not a harlot. You're an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Man, I don't have, I don't have the time. I'm, I know I got to go in a couple of minutes.
I'm I'm gonna soak in this in a, for a minute because I, I need you guys to understand that a covenant with God is not just a contract. A covenant with God is a becoming of one with Him. When people see this, they go, "Man, God, you're being really tough," because God doesn't see marriage the way we do. God doesn't see relationship the way we do. God doesn't see oneness the way we do. God literally gives himself to these people. And now he identifies himself with these people. He is them. They are him. So for Israel then to sell herself, is an offense to the identity of God because Israel is saying, I want to be something else. And God's like, I'm not that. No, I want to do me now, but that's not who I am. And rather than being a harlot, because at least a harlot sells herself and makes money doing it, Jerusalem. Is an adulteress. She's giving money to be with someone else. Sacrificing everything to be with that person. Letting go of all the covenant and the promises that were made. And so that offense is not just an offense to themselves, but it's an offense to God. And it's funny because what does God do? He says, I'm going to expose you. That's all he says. He says, he says, I will expose you. I will gather them from all around against you and I will uncover your nakedness to them. God's revenge is just exposing who they are. <laughs> I'm done. I'm going to just close it right here. You know what's powerful about this text? Is God's revenge is to let those that she's committing adultery with see who she is. Who is she? She's God's child. (laughs) I don't have time to break it down, but this is what the Lord is really speaking into me about. Because he, the way God gets them, he's like, I'm a He's going to be how I get you. I'm going to get you back by letting them see me and you. Have you ever noticed? And there are some of you who can testify to this. As much as you try to play the harlot. As much as you tried to play the the person, because notice what he does. They commit acts. Israel is committing acts more abominable than even the neighboring countries who they are committing adultery with. They're more adulterous than they are. They're doing bad better than they do bad. (laughs) 
They're committing adultery more than they are. They're idolatry. They, they, they go above and beyond. They go above and beyond. <laughs> oh, y'all, this is what you guys do? Oh, we'll do it better than you. Isn't it funny how there are those of us who God pulled us out of the mud? There are those of us that God took out from a dark place. And there are those of us, even, even in all of that, we said, you know what? After all that God has done, I still want to do me. And then we go out to do us. So we live like the world and we do what the world does and we do it and we do it well. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You do it well. You don't need anybody to help you with that. And you do it better than everybody else can. You can be bad and you can be better than the best. <laughs> you can be better than the baddest and you did it. And you did it well. That was Israel. They were making the other nations blush. And God's punishment to them. Watch this. He says, I will uncover your nakedness. Their shame was God's glory. Because the nakedness that God saw, he covered with his glory. He, he clothed them. He washed them and clothed them. And there in all their nakedness, God received them. It was their nakedness that joined them with God. And now they're about to see the nakedness. 